Hello and welcome to the PhD Life Raft podcast. I'm Emma Brzezinski and today I am talking to the super dynamic Katrina McChesney. Katrina is working on a project around distance doctorates and today we are talking about how to manage and um, overcome the challenges of doing a distance doctorate. Hi. Thank you so much for being here all the way from New Zealand. I was just <laughs> sharing my, it, it, I know it, it just never fails to excite me that we can talk to people all over the world. And um, that and that's the gorgeous part of academia, isn't it? It, it is an, it's an international community and I love that. Um, so thank Absolutely. you. Thank you for, for um, tuning in. I would say tuning in. I don't know if that's the right thing to say. Um, so the, the 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 first thing that I always ask people to do when they're here is to tell us a little bit about them and their own story um, through the PhD. So can you tell us a little bit about your story? Sure. Well, yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I love your podcast and I'm very excited to be to be on here talking about, you know, distance doctoral students because I was one. Right. I was a distance um, doctoral student and I also, I did my PhD kind of by accident. I don't <laughs> know if you've had lots of I love people. these stories. <laughs> I love these stories. Accidental doctoral student. In fact, I think that I should do a book on this. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Because I can't possibly be the only one, right? Yeah. So um, I was um, I was working in the Middle East on education reform stuff and this opportunity came up with a, a university that was actually running master's programs at a distance to Abu Dhabi where I was and the Australian government had a fees-free arrangement for Australian and New Zealand citizens and I'd kind of always thought I should do a master's one day and this opportunity landed on my desk and it seemed legit and I thought well this is pretty good opportunity Amazing. so I got underway it was a it was an MPhil a research master's and um, then you know, abbreviating here for time, but it became possible to apply for the conversion to upgrade my enrolment to a PhD once I got to a certain point and make sure the study was big enough and original enough and stuff. And so it became a PhD, but I never kind of went into it thinking this is the beginning of my life's work, which is sometimes how people kind of characterise the PhD, that it's, you know, the launching point for the rest of your research trajectory, potentially for decades. I just I just picked a project that made sense with the work I was doing at the time. Um, so my research was in education, looking at teachers' experiences of professional development over in Abu Dhabi. And, yeah, I was um, it was 2012 to 2017 I had a year off in the middle when I had a, my first baby I worked full-time for much of it um, and then we moved hemispheres in the middle of a PhD honestly if you read my PHD acknowledgements oh, I get it right. <laughs> like how much how much life can happen in five no, years I was you know? just doing that so 
you you had a baby you were working full-time you've moved like how tell us how you managed that how was how was that and how did you manage that well there just really wasn't any question of it being any different right so I right. never sat down and made this kind of measured rational decision that I should right. do this by distance right. there was never any question that I would do it any other way if I was going to study of course it was going to be by distance because I was going to be working that was top priority I had a job I loved my job it was you know it was the reason that my husband and I were able to be in the Middle East so it was only ever going to be distance study and you know it it was flexible I was able to take the time off when I had my baby I think we lived in like 11 houses in the time of my PhD because we were in work accommodation and that kept changing so yeah a lot happened moved hemispheres we moved back to New Zealand partway through and then in the last couple of years I finished off the thesis while I was doing kind of independent contracting work from home here in New Zealand and settling into a new life so my claim to fame is that the first time I set foot on my in like air quotes, my university campus was the day I picked up my PhD robes and graduated. I never went to campus, ever. I couldn't. My campus was in Perth, like on the other side of Australia. I was in Abu Dhabi for the first three years of it and then New Zealand for the other two years. And people think like New Zealand and Australia are close. It was like an eight-hour flight from (laughs) New Zealand to my university. So it's not super close. (laughs) Right, right. No, not at all. Blimey. It's about as distance as you can get that I literally never went. I never went to the library once. Everything happened online or at a distance for me. Wow. Wow. So that is a, there's a lot there, and I also I wonder well how was it then to go on the day of day of graduating? It was kind of surreal. Um, I had had a work colleague who'd done his doctorate at the same university, and he had told me about graduation. And right. it was Australia. It was February. It was summer. They had an evening afternoon graduation. They had it outdoors in this beautiful kind of natural amphitheatre, and then they'd have fireworks at the end. And I had. I'd heard this from him. I hadn't seen any photos, but I'd heard this account from him. And so I'd kind of visualised that all the way through to help me, yes. you know, you need to yes. that, that visualisation yes. of the end. I'd visualised what it's going to be like. I'm going to have fireworks. I'm going to graduate. I'm going to time when I submit my thesis to make sure I get to go to the summer graduation with the fireworks. Yes. <laughs> but, but yeah, I didn't feel any sense of, you know, loyalty or connection or this is my place when I graduated. Right. I, I knew my supervisor. I had met her a couple of times because she had visited Abu Dhabi and we'd met up at a conference. Um, but yeah, it, there wasn't the sense of, you know, being at home or reconnecting with place when I graduated. It was just, this is this is the, the experience I have been visualising and, and the fireworks were fabulous. It was very special. Blimey. I mean, this is this is setting the bar high, right? Fireworks for that fireworks for graduation. <laughs> I just wondered, did you know any of the other PhD um researchers there or not at graduation? Right. There were there were a few um in Abu Dhabi. So the university had come kind of on purpose to try right. and establish a bit of a node of right. students over right. where I was. Um but by the time I graduated, I was living back in New Zealand again. Um and yeah. I I was the only person I knew at graduation. It was just me and my husband. <laughs> I left my my five year old at home with grandma and grandpa while we wow. went to Australia to graduate. Wow. Um, 
yeah wow, it was just so kind it was of a, it was us yeah and a very different kind of experience um to um to well each graduation I think is always unique because you you kind of you walk that walk and it there's there's something in that but this this moment where you literally hadn't been there before that's really um literally crossing a threshold there um yeah so this is what we're talking about then we're talking about distance doctorates and this this um your own experience of this obviously um but you're now working on a project around this and and what people uh, you know need to think about and how people experience it and I think it's obviously it's become in the last couple of years lots of people have had this experience not by choice (laughs) Um, so I just I'm going to be really interested in in your kind of your your findings and what and your offering in terms of what what we're thinking about in terms of what distance doctorates need um mm. but but just before that I just want to ask how you then got into this research what so you, you you've obviously graduated from your own distance doctorate but what then led you into into this research area <laughs> it was kind of um like a niggle of irritation that just kind of festered and grew super healthy kind of a story um, so initially, you know, I got my first academic job and I started doing a follow-up study to my PhD. That's sort of the good girl, got your doctorate, get your next study right. underway, get some right. funding. Um, but it, when I was doing my, my PhD by distance, my supervisor was was wonderful and gave me lots of opportunities and, and good supervision across distance. I was the first student she ever Skyped. I mean, this is only 10 years yeah, ago and, and yeah, she'd only yeah. ever kind of emailed. But the rest of the university didn't have anything for doctoral students. And I would get an email like every other day advertising some wonderful workshop, networking event, training opportunity that was happening on campus in Australia with no kind of acknowledgement that a whole lot of us weren't there. And, you know, the university had kind of marketed itself to us that this is the thing that we do. We've got the biggest doctoral distance program in this field in the world. So I was kind of expecting them to have some things in place that would facilitate Mm. that distance learning. But really, all of the burden of that fell on my supervisor and I to just make our way through. Mm. And that had always bothered me. And so I'd kind of always wanted to collect people's stories or something, do maybe an edited book. And eventually I reached out to a colleague, somebody I'd met, um, Dr. Jamie Burford. He was from NZ, but he's now over in the UK at the University of Warwick. And I knew that he had done his doctorate by distance too. And it's just one of those cool online connections. We've never met each other. Like, I don't know how tall he is, um, but we're writing a book <laughs> together and doing a research project oh, together. And, and we've got a couple of other collaborators who we love, Professor Liesl Frick from South Africa and Dr. Chin Koo from Australia. And we are, it's just growing. Um, we've got a book contract with Rutledge to do um, an, an authored advice book around doing doctoral research by distance. And, and that's all about not just what we might traditionally think of as distance study, where you tick a box on your enrolment form that you're going to be a distance or online student, but actually a much broader, more inclusive framing of it, that there's people who 
maybe they live like down the road from their campus, but they've got kids at home mm. or the time and the financial cost of the commute is just not worth it for them. They've got health mobility challenges, they're working full time, whatever might be going on that means that some or all of their doctoral work happens off campus. Those are our people mm. and we want to kind of advocate for them and so we're writing the, the advice book to kind of help because there's just, there's nothing in that space. There's so much wonderful doctoral advice material out there. You know, this podcast, lots of blogs, lots of books, but there's very, very little in that distance space. So we're working on that and we're doing a big international study just to start by kind of capturing people's stories and experiences. And you know, by the time this podcast goes out, we will have just finished our survey. And it's been amazing looking at the early data the, the diversity of people's experiences, the amount of life that goes on for everybody mm. during the period of a doctorate and, and the unexpected things like COVID that have forced a whole lot of people to study off campus when that wasn't their plan yeah. or they've travelled overseas to do their field work, collect their data and they can't get back because of border restrictions, all sorts of scenarios that have affected people. So we we kind of don't want to buy into the idea that studying by distance is somehow second best um, and that you're kind of settling for something that's not the ideal. We're very much about this is important, this is powerful, this is an enabler. Distance can be amazing and it makes it possible for lots of people to do a doctorate who wouldn't be able to otherwise for financial reasons they need to work or because they're caring for children or family. Doctorates can be done away from campus and that can be fantastic but we have to get better at talking about that and, and planning for that as institutions and as supervisors and equipping students helping them to connect and those sorts of things. Love it I love it I love this idea of, of the distance doctorate as an enabler and because yeah. it, it as you say there's all sorts of reasons why people might not be able to do things and that, that this might enable them to jump those barriers yeah I mean people people do doctorates from jail true story you know (laughs) and I have I have this hunch if any of your listeners can like answer this for me I'd be so thrilled I have this hunch that somebody must have worked on their doctorate from space because they're all like scientists up there doing fancy experiments and things there must have been a doctoral student who went up there but I can't find. I tweeted NASA. They didn't. They didn't write back to me. Shocking. Um, but there must be somebody who's worked on their doctorate from space. There's people in refugee camps. There's people in jail, and there's people who just prefer to be at home. They they want to not leave their pets at home all day. They maybe have social anxiety. Maybe the university environment is actually quite toxic and and mean, and they are healthier and better off just choosing to be at home. Oh, Such he, a huge, yeah, diverse yeah. cohort, but why should they be kind of, oh, well, you're going to miss out on all of the, the training and the institutional climate and the sense of peer community and companionship? That's not okay. Well, hear, hear to that. And I, I love this idea of like extreme PhDing, you know, yeah. you know like have extreme ironing and things. <laughs> extreme, the most extreme place to do your PhD in. Space and I'd love that you tweeted NASA. That is awesomeness. <laughs> um, right. So then, so you are you're in there. You're doing this work. I love that you're doing it in uh, form and content too, so that you are actually distance 
collaborating. <laughs> um, and so tell us then what what you've been discovering and what you're starting to kind of your you're starting to collate these these thoughts and advice. Where are you, where are you at with your research just now? Yeah, so it's early stages at the moment. The survey um, is just closed at the end of October. So we are starting to look at the early data. What we're seeing is actually a surprising number of people have said to us that just answering our survey about their distance experiences was really powerful for them, mm. that it, it validated their story and it mm. gave them an opportunity to actually reflect on what's been helping them and to kind of become conscious about the things that they do that help them to name the barriers that they've faced because that kind of positions the reason for some of the struggle outside of self. Right. Sometimes, you know, right. the PhD is, or any doctorate, you know, yes. it's not just the PhD, all of the doctorates, they're so full of that imposter syndrome, yes. that sense that maybe you're not cut out for this. And because there's so many challenges along the way, that can just feed that all of the time. Oh, the mm. reason I'm finding it hard is because I shouldn't be here in the first place. Mm. And so mm. actually the process of being invited to reflect on their journey and name the barriers has helped them acknowledge that this is not just on me. You know, my mm. university has done some things well and some things not so well. Mm. Or I've really tried to make connections, but I've struggled. Or, um, you know, travel, or COVID, all of these things. It's important that we don't, over blame ourselves for things Absolutely. that are outside of our control Absolutely. so that's sort of an unexpected finding mm. definitely um there's a lot of people saying that their supervisors have gone above and beyond and done everything that they could Hooray to, for that. to mitigate yeah exactly to mitigate the distance they've they've been available they've been responsive they've zoomed supervisors who have um, brokered things for their students so we know from people like Trish Jackman's research how important it is for doctoral students to be connected to peers so that they realise that everybody's journey has these ups and downs and they have moments of giving advice and moments of receiving it and that kind of thing. Mm. But that's harder if you're not on campus and in the tea room or the doctoral student workroom. And so supervisors who have brokered those connections they've deliberately oh you know you've come in I'd like to introduce you to this student of mine and put them together to help get that started for distance students those sorts of things have been great to Amazing. hear but definitely a lot of um, wider institutional improvement needed in terms of making training and things available because it's not just the fact that people are at a distance and so they need a zoom link it's also understanding why people are at a distance right. and the difference that might make. You know, right. if people are at a distance yeah. because they have family and care responsibilities, yeah. they may not be available at your chosen time for yeah. a Zoom workshop or they're, they're at a distance because they're working full-time or because they're on the other side of the world and therefore in a different time zone. So it's not enough to just say, the workshop's happening at 2 o'clock on a Thursday, here's the Zoom link. We also need a recording afterwards because we recognise that we're going to have students in all of these scenarios who genuinely would love to come but can't show up mm. at the, the time and day of your choice. Mm. Mm. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. And do you find that, that um, you know, you, you, you've started presumably to make contact with institutions. Um, are you finding that people are receptive to the, these changes? What's been the kind of response? 
Yeah, we've had the opportunity to give a number of talks and workshops. Um, the first one was with the Smartin group in the UK yes. who are interested in doctoral student mental health and then at a number of conferences. And people have been really receptive and we really admire and applaud that. So we've had deans of graduate schools, doctoral student administrators, people like that, as well as supervisors coming to these sessions and really welcoming the opportunity to think afresh about what it might look like for doctoral education to be equitable and inclusive for this full cohort rather than just catering to that traditional mythical young potentially male straight from undergraduate unencumbered no children no mortgage or if they do there's a wife at home you know running home and family so that all they have to do is their doctorate full-time our, our our institutional provision can't be built on that no. mythical idea of who the doctoral students are and then position everybody else as the anomalies mm. actually those students are the anomalies these mm. days they're still there and they have every right to be but but they are one sector of a much broader demographic and so it's been really great that when these people in leadership positions in student support roles have come to our sessions they have been really open and interested in thinking about how we could support distance students better and on our project website one of the things we've got is a bank of ideas that we developed with um, attendees at one of these workshops so a whole bunch of ideas that we co-constructed for how how supervisors and institutions can support doctoral researchers working by distance Oh, I love that. And, you know, it's not just us telling people what to do. It's actually people who are living and working in these roles who've had lots of students coming together and co-constructing what this might look like. Brilliant. And we will have the links in the in the show notes so people can can kind of follow that up. And I just mm. love because, of course, this this kind of good practice is good practice for everyone. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's the thing with any form of inclusive education. Yeah. It harms yeah. nobody. Yeah. And it helps. Ev- it's good for everybody. Oh, yes. Here, here. And and how brilliant that people are res- responding positively and we can, you know, let's hope we start to see change happen. <sighs> Love that. Yeah. And that's part of our work is just raising awareness because, yes. you know, if you're a doctoral student working from home, juggling a job and some kids and a mortgage and your volunteer governance roles or whatever it is that you're doing, you don't actually have time no. to harass your institution beyond just like one or two frustrated emails perhaps you don't have time to be the advocate to create the change but you need it Um, and so we through this research we really hope that we can help raise awareness of this cohort and prompt some change because just like if you know if we had students who had learning disabilities physical disabilities whatever it shouldn't be on them to fix Mm their school or university that's that's not the right place for that responsibility to be located so part of our work as researchers is to try and be that advocate raise awareness equip um, definitely there's things we want to do to equip students like like the the guidance advice book that's coming out next year but there's also a lot to raise awareness and start to shift practice at an institutional level and I think people gen- generally have good intentions supervisors institutions don't want to offer uh, exclusionary provision it's just that people are, are busy and there's been ways things have always been done and so the opportunity to come in and reflect and think differently so far has been quite well received and that's really 
promising amazing amazing and what a gift um that you're giving in doing this work so thank you for that um so aware of time um and Mm -hmm. i'm also aware now i'm going to ask you a very unfair question but i ask it to everybody (laughs) in terms of a top tip because there will be people listening to this podcast who are doing their um doctorate by distance have you got um a tip or some tips for them yeah if I could give maybe two the first one would be don't buy into the narrative that you're doing something that's never going to be as good as if you were on campus Mm. don't buy into being made to feel that it's all on you and that Mm. you just have to suck it up and make do ask for things that that you would find helpful if the trainings are not offered by zoom ask for that. It might just be that nobody's thought about it. Um, Send the emails, have the conversations, give the feedback to the institution. It may not make it better fast enough for you. It might, and I hope so. But if not, at least it builds that rolling snowball of awareness for change in the long run. So that will be step number one. Mm. Don't just be that kind of passive, this is, I'm stuck with this because I chose this and I have to lump it. That's not helpful. The second one would be find your people. Mm. Find your people. Doctoral research is really hard for everybody and we're not meant to do it alone. And we're also not meant to put all of our support burdens on our supervisors because that's Mm. not fair. They're not workloaded for that. They're human. They're going to have their own ups and downs in their lives. You need a team around you. And so... We've got another resource on our website, actually, that helps doctoral students think through those support networks and why they're important and how they might access those if you're off campus. You need, you know, that whether it's student learning, library, those sorts of professional supports, academic coaches, proofreaders, but also ways to connect with other doctoral students. I can't tell you, I'm sure you'll know, you've supervised students, that when when students do connect with other students, it can be life-changing. Yes, And it was for me, you know, I moved home to New Zealand and I thought that I must be the only person in my city doing a PhD in education by distance from home. And so I just anticipated being lonely for the remaining couple of years. And then I went to a conference and met five other women in exactly the same situation. And so then we had coffee group once a month until we all finished. And now three of us work together at the same campus. Like it was such a, a game changer. Brilliant. And I also became aware of the online communities mm. and they were amazing. So I was in groups like the PhD and Early Career Research Appearance Network. Loved that one. And they had a virtual shut up and write. So I'd just jump on and people would be all over the world juggling their kids or, you know, I've got half an hour while I sit outside the kids' piano lessons. I'm going to try and write two paragraphs of my discussion or whatever. You know, we were in the trenches together. I'm at the hairdresser, got my foils in and my laptop on my knee, trying to update my literature review. (laughs) Women in Academia Support Network, groups like that. Um, Because I was off campus, you know, my community wasn't at my institution. But that I discovered that that didn't mean that I couldn't have community. Mm. And so my my tip for your listeners is find your people, 
if it's helpful, you know, we've got that resource that you can use to think about the different categories of, of people that you might need in your life, people who are encouragers and allies and people who will watch your kids or bring you meals or trade babysitting or whatever, so that you you have that support and that sense of solidarity that other people are on this journey too, you see them achieve things, they celebrate your achievements, you see them have hard times, you encourage them, and then when you have a hard time, you remember that this is all part of the journey. So much richness, so good for our mental health and well-being, so good for our identity as emerging scholars to, to have this community around us. So there you go, top tips. Wow. Wow. This is like, this is motivational speaking and I love it. And I love it. Um, Yes, yes, yes. To all of that. Yes. To all of that. Um, Katrina, thank you. And I wish you all the very best with it, with kind of putting together this research and with the book project. It's it's really exciting and um, could be a real game changer. It's yeah, really important work. Thank you for that. Um, And thank you for telling us about it. My pleasure. If I could just leave you with with one thing, if people if people are looking for a community, we've started a Facebook group. It's literally called Doctoral Research by Distance, um, because like I said, those online communities were really helpful for me, and there weren't any for people who were doing doctoral research by distance. So, people are more than welcome to join that group. I'm in there as uh, my co-researchers and co-authors, and I don't know, like eight hundred distance doctoral students um sharing asking questions encouraging each other having meetups things like that so that's Amazing. one space that's free to join open to anybody in the world as long as they happen to be on facebook and there are other communities for people who are not on facebook but that's that's the one that we host amazing 800 people you're bound to find bound to find your people in there <laughs> yeah <laughs> amazing thank you so much katrina um, and thank Thanks you for having all. me And thank you all for listening.